when you're an arts writer, right? I I think we briefly touched on this before, but there's a lot of gatekeeping in the art world. Right. Um, there is like there are a lot of people who want to be artists, but there aren't that many galleries who are looking to represent. Like there are a lot of people who want to be artists, but it's not that like galleries can only show a certain number of people, but they're selective about who they're going to show. In the same way that like when you apply for a job, if there are like tons of different applicants for it, then like only a certain number of people will be selected. Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C., with the leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. Welcome to the Creative Habits Podcast, where we explore the creative process and habits of artists from all disciplines. Every Thursday, we host a segment entitled Artist Talk, where we speak to creatives about their work and experiences to connect with and gain inspiration from artists living and working in their field. Today's special guest is Isis Davis Marks, multidisciplinary artist, educator, and writer based in New York City. Her artwork has been exhibited nationally and internationally in venues including the Yale School of Art, the New York City Culture Club, and La Loma Projects. Join us as we delve into the creative mind of Isis in order to learn the inspiration behind her creative practice as a writer and a visual artist. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you asking me to be a part of it. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Your work as a multidisciplinary artist is breathtaking. I'm excited to learn more. However, before we delve deeper into the conversation, what came first? Was it your passion for writing or your ability to tell a story through art making? Yeah, thanks for the first question, Indigo. I, uh, it's funny because I feel like I get this question a lot. And I think that um, for me, they really sort of developed like in tandem. Um, from a young age, I was always sort of reading books and I was always very interested in literature and storytelling. And I also always loved movies and listening to music and, you know, seeing museums. I was very fortunate to have grown up in New York City. So I was kind of constantly around art. And my great aunt also um, had a pretty like robust collection of like African-American art, um, particularly abstract artists from the 1960s. So I was always around both literature and art. And I feel that for me, um, my my writing practice um, definitely feeds my um, creative, like visual making practice and vice versa. Um, I feel that I often draw a lot of inspiration, um, particularly from Black women who are writers, um, especially like ones, those who like verge on the more sort of surreal side. So I love like Toni Morrison and Octavia Butler and Zadie Smith is not necessarily writing so much in like a surrealist style, but I do really, really love the way that she sort of represents like black female friendship and um, conversations about single motherhood. A piece I did recently actually has like an excerpt of like one of her books in it. Um, And it's one of the pieces that you're going to ask about soon, I think. So we can talk about that too. But 
Um, I'm always so inspired by literature, I think, in part because while I do love movies and I love looking at paintings and photography and like visual work, sometimes mm-hmm. I do think that for me, I gain more inspiration from reading literature because I feel like the images that I often like will get images when I'm reading things and it's sort of like a movie in my head and I feel like it's almost like my brain is kind of generating them it's almost like an AI but like in my brain um and I feel that that for me helps me to come up with sometimes like more original almost depictions of things whereas sometimes if I'm looking at too many artists or too many paintings or too many, you know, like videos, I, I wonder like, where's the boundary between like my practice and someone else's. So I've just been taking a lot of time, especially this summer to just like read a lot and absorb a lot and watch a lot of like older movies, um, in order to get inspiration. That's wonderful. And, um, what did that do for you in terms of like reading literature from the lens of black women as a black woman? What was that experience like for you? Um, I feel like it's, uh, I feel like it's inspiring. Like I definitely do tend to read like a lot of like black women who are authors, but a lot of the literature I read are also by like non-black people Mm -hmm. as well. Like sometimes like they are like by white people, but sometimes they're all by Asian people or like Latinx people. Um, the last couple books I just read were actually by this, um, author named Ling Ma and I believe she's Chinese and she wrote this book called Severance I'm obsessed with it and it's about this like global pandemic but it's also about like her interpersonal relationships and how she feels about you know potentially like um carrying a child into the new world um in in this like world like that's sort of like besieged by almost like this zombie apocalypse um and I think it raises like very interesting ethical questions so I do look to a lot of like black women writers, but like, I'm really just trying to read literature from like all around the world. And I feel like we're in this political climate right now. That's often like very polarized. And um, I feel like it's so great that a lot of black artists and writers have been getting more attention, but I also do feel that um, it is important to also look not only at your own experiences as a black woman, but the experiences of like other people and seeing like, how can you celebrate your culture while also like expanding your own um, horizons? That's absolutely fantastic. And I do agree um, because literature can actually take you, allow you to travel without leaving your home and, Mm -hmm. you know, expand your horizons and keep an open mind. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. When it pertains to your life, what is interesting about you? What is your story? Um, I I guess I can try to answer that in the best way I can um, because I feel like it's like weird to think about like, well, why am I interesting? <laughs> um, but I do, I feel like I, I try to be interested in like a lot of different subject matters and um, a lot of different types of art making, um, which is why I do find it like, hard to like categorize myself as just a painter because I feel like there's so much like more to me than like painting or drawing or textile work. I I do think that, um, I, I try to like make my work as, you know, sort of interdisciplinary as possible. Um, I mean, I did grow up in New York. Um, I was born and raised here. I was like raised by a single mother. Um, I was originally from Harlem, but then I grew up in the South Bronx and, um, you know, I just sort of like went to public schools around New York City, but I do think that sometimes 
Um, what, what's different about me and my practice is that I do feel like my background, it's like very, it's very like almost dual ended. Like I do care a lot about like math and logic and science. And I went to a lot of like science magnet schools growing up and I teach like a lot of standardized testing and like SATs and things of that nature. But then I also have like a very like, I think creative side. So just sort of like learning how to balance like the two halves of my brain um, over the years has been something I've always been trying to like figure out. But I, I do think that um, before, like, I think when I was younger, it's sort of, you know, I feel like a lot of us, like we go through this phase where we're wondering like, why can't I be like this person or like, and it's like very hard not to compare yourself to other people, especially like in an age of social media. But I think I'm beginning to like embrace like my weird, like multifaceted, um, practice now more than I'm older for sure. Thank you for sharing that. How does your own art practice help you approach your art writing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for this question. I feel like it's a, a very good one. Um, and especially because I do feel that as, as I've moved through the art world, I've kind of learned that um, a lot of artists do have like interdisciplinary practices. Um, sort of as I just mentioned before, like I, I did do a lot of like science and math and things like that in high school. And I also majored in philosophy in addition to um, art. And um, I had like a concentration in journalism as well. Like when I was in college, I was like studying a bunch of different things. But in my experience, arts writing, like I, it helped me with my own writing, with my own art practice, because I learned you know, how many artists like have so many different paths and, you know, some artists, they begin showing at galleries, like when they're very young and then they like primarily focus on painting like others, you know, they, they make work for years and they travel the world and they only come to art later. And then there are some people who are educators and then there are some people who are like computer programmers. So I think that, you know, like arts writing was great for me because it helped me to really sort of see sort of what I was saying before, which is that, there are so many different types of ways to be an artist. And I think that the way that my brain works is I'm always kind of like looking for connections between different things. And I'm always like interested in different um, disciplines, like sort of academically. So I like this as a career choice for me because I feel like it helps me to sort of like meld all of those things. And even before, like when I was in college, I was thinking about going to pursue a PhD in philosophy. And I think that philosophy appealed to me as well, because it's also very like interdisciplinary by nature. Like you can have, you can focus on science or you can focus on math. I was also kind of interested in like religious studies and um, specifically like philosophy of language as well and perceptions of like women in media and popular culture. Um, so I feel like my background in philosophy really helped me to understand or like develop my own voice as an arts writer, because I feel that a lot of people who do go into arts writing tend to come from like an art history background, which is not necessarily like my story. Like I love to read art history, but I don't consider that to be like my discipline. I consider myself to be more of like a philosopher and an artist as opposed to an art historian. Um, so I feel like that, like just the process of making has helped me to ask artists like very specific questions about their own practice, particularly like when they are painters and textile artists. But I also feel like learning about their practices has helped me because then I get to see like, well, what are the different ways of like becoming an artist? And it's also helped me to navigate um, how do you know, sort of like approach a gallery or like how to conduct a studio visit or 
you know, even like learning from them, like hearing them speak as to like how to conduct like an interview, like it, it's like a give and a take for me. So it's both. Yeah. I love how you make connections that way and how or where you are. Cause I'm thinking like you're saying all of the things that you were dabbling in or um, mm-hmm. associating with, whether it's art, whether it's math and it's like all of the things you're interested in is a creative mm-hmm. practice <laughs> in a sense, like just you being know. able to connect and kind of like just jump into something that's new. Um, very awesome. Thank you. Welcome. You're, you've used your gift of writing to contribute to society in many positive ways, particularly when it pertains to representation. Why is it important for you to approach your writing from this perspective? Um, that's a great question because I do think that, so I think we had, we were kind of talking about this before, but, um, in 2020, I felt that that was like a very pivotal year. You know, it was like, really like in the beginning of the throes of the pandemic of COVID-19, um, George Floyd was, you know, sort of unfortunately murdered at the hands of police. And there were a lot of protests like sort of surrounding that time period in that incident. And I felt that that was a time when a lot of people were really beginning to pay attention to black artists, particularly like younger black artists who were focusing on, you know, certain questions about identity and family. Um, And um, I guess you could sort of say, you know, the relationships between, you know, Black people that weren't necessarily negative, right? Because I feel like it's, it's very complex to talk about visual representations of like Black culture and art, um, especially because I do feel that a lot of times like you see certain forms of art making in academic spaces and there there does tend to be a focus on slavery and there does tend to be a focus on um I guess you could say like the more oppressive aspects of black history so I think that during the era like where the George Floyd protests were happening, a lot of people were beginning to respond to that and raise criticisms of that. And were beginning to like really sort of push for like happier representations of black art. And I think that a lot of people wanted to support black artists during that time, not only because of George Floyd, but also because the pandemic tended to disproportionately impact like black and Latinx communities, um, particularly because black and Latinx communities um, tend to be like those that are like harder hit by like economic downturns because um, those communities tend to be like more marginalized and like have, you know, fewer assets in comparison to like a lot of like white communities. But um, I think that sort of because that, you know, was sort of happening at the time when I was like entering the workforce because I graduated from Yale in 2019, like I did my undergrad there. So like I was just beginning to work, um, you know, after I graduated in like May of 2019, like I had, you know, begun to start working, you know, at a publication, uh, like in an internship. And then I also had like an internship at the Sugar Hill Museum, but then the pandemic hit. Um, So I was just sort of tutoring for a while. And then I was beginning to, um, I guess you could also say like freelance writing, right? Because I had begun to make some connections before the pandemic. I had applied to a job at Artsy and then I didn't get the job itself, but then they asked me to start freelancing for them. So around the time of, you know, like George Floyd and all these protests, like I started to write a lot about Black art and it wasn't something I had planned on doing like after college. I had wanted to go more in the direction of, you know, perhaps like writing for like, um, 
a, a more political publication, like maybe the Nation or like the New York Times, um, and then like pivoting into pursuing a PhD in philosophy. Like that's what I thought my trajectory would be when I was graduating college, but I did also have this like painting degree. Um, so it's really just trying to navigate how all of those things like fit together. But I think that because of the time and because of the political context and because of the social context in which like I was entering like the art world or like the writing world, I guess you could say I was trying to enter like more of the journalism world, but I ended up writing about art because I had this, you know, studio practice. So I think everything has sort of like fed into each other for me. Um, and there's often this conception, like when you graduate college that you kind of need to know, it, but you don't like things don't work out or you think that you're going to do something. And then like your life forces you to change direction, whether it's because like you got a job or you didn't get a job or like because of family issues. Um, so for me, like I ended up writing a lot about black art because it was um, something that was very pressing at the time. And I think also because we were so inside and because we were constantly on our phones and on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all of these things, I think that really, I think it really dawned on me how important visuals were because oftentimes that was the only way we could see the world. <laughs> um, let's see your screen. <laughs> Um, and I think that really made, that was really fundamental for my current relationship with art and thinking about, I'm always thinking about like, how does my work interact with photography? How does it, you know, how is it legible? Because I know that a lot of people who aren't able to see my work in person are going to see it through a screen. And I'm always thinking about, well, how is this painting going to be received on a screen? But also I'm thinking about like, how do those narratives sort of interact with um, what gets represented? Because writing is so important to understanding like which art gets visibility, um, maybe not to the general public, but you know, a lot of times galleries are using press releases and they are using like curatorial statements and they are using certain texts and all of that. I think especially like for artists down the line, like once they do start getting into museums and you know, very prestigious collections, all of that sort of contributes to like the the documentation around the work, which also determines like how our future generations going to remember that thing. Uh, but I was very interested in like thinking about how is like this particular moment surrounding like George Floyd and the pandemic and all of these like very sort of strong like societal inflection points, like how are we going to remember like the art around this time? Yeah, those are, um, those are great questions and like connections that you're making, especially just in terms of like how everything works and how it connects with one another and how you're trying to figure out, you know, what you were doing after school. And that's something that I want like our listeners to know. It's like when you graduate, there's no what you think is going to happen yeah. out of 10 is not going to happen the way that you think it's yeah. going to happen. So have the flexibility to be flexible in order to know that, yes, maybe you're not going to get that job, but you may get an opportunity that is in, in alignment with your goals in the future. It's always going to work out the way that it needs to work out, but not the way that you assume it's going to be. Yeah. So the way that you mentioned that. Um, so your contributions to magazines and publications is commendable, um, especially the work you're doing and just being really intentional about what you write. You've been referenced in publications such as Smithsonian Magazine, Artsy, and referenced in the New York Times. Um, how did you get into this line of work? Um, like, 
I know that you had an opportunity just coming out of school, but how did you keep that going? Yeah, um, I guess sort of um, the like what I had described before about like, so when I had graduated school, I thought I was go. I was just, I had an intention of like imp- applying to like specific internships, right. jobs, um, my plan. So I feel like there are certain publications i.e. like the New York Times um, and the Nation is another one, but they offer these like year-long fellowships, you know, that often like go to recently graduated like students um, and a lot of students who are interested in journalism, like they can do these fellowships in order to like get a head start on their career, like their journalistic career um, and, you know, begin to hopefully like amass like certain clips at like prestigious publication and then they can kind of use it as a springboard or a launching pad um so I thought that that was what I would do and then like I had like a loose goal of like becoming like a sort of like academic or public intellectual type figure but the specific ones I had applied to like I just didn't get them (laughs) um so I kind of had to reroute and decide like well what path do I want to take from here um and so I started casting a wider net, talking to people in my network, seeing what they had done. And like, it turned out like a lot of people who I knew who were interested in writing in academia, a lot of them ended up like tutoring for a time or teaching for a time. So I started applying to like tutoring jobs um, and I got a tutoring job. So that was essentially like my day job. And I'm from New York. So I just kind of moved home for a while um, I worked part-time. I got an internship at the studio, um, not the studio museum, the Sugar Hill Museum for um, children, which is like up in Sugar, it's like uh, sort of like uptown, like in Manhattan. And like, I did a special events and public programming internship there, which was great. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, sort of like managing and event organizing there. Um, but sort of shortly after that ended, I want to say that ended around like January, February of 2019, like the pandemic hit. So I was just sort of like tutoring remotely from home. Um, and then I also, you know, was beginning to freelance. So I had applied to a job at Artsy, um, sort of like in that October of, you know, maybe like 2019 or so. And then in 2020, like around the time, and I wrote like my first article for RTI, I want to say maybe November of 2019, because even though they didn't select me for this internship, they still said, we want you to freelance for us, Mm -hmm. which is a thing I want people to be aware of who are listening to this podcast, which is that if you are trying to break into the writing field, like a lot of it is freelance or independent contractor work. So that is something to be aware of. Um, and thinking about like where do you want to pitch so like when you're an arts writer you often have to go through this process that's called pitching so pitching is essentially when you come up with an idea for a story and you um you know essentially come up with like a headline what the story is about maybe who you might be interested in interviewing and then you send this pitch to an editor and then they can decide whether or not they want you to actually go ahead with the story um sometimes editors will pitch you if you're like a freelancer so they might reach out to you and ask you to write like a specific article um and um that's interesting as well because um yeah like that 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 means you don't have to do the work of actually coming up with the idea for a story um so yeah, 
basically, um, I, you know, was getting commissioned to write certain articles, especially around the time of George Floyd. Um, and then the Smithsonian had reached out to me to ask me if I would consider applying to this job called Smart News. Um, so when I went through that application process, I essentially did like um, a sample article for them. And then they looked it over. They decided that they wanted me to come back. So that's how I started, you know, sort of more or less like regularly writing for them for that job. Um, so a lot of it was just sort of writing. And then, you know, once you start writing, people start seeing your work and then they'll start asking you about your work because it starts getting disseminated sort of on um, online, on social media, and then people will share things. So if you continue to write and you continue to publish things and you're really sort of adamant about pitching your editors, then that is also kind of how the word can spread about your work. Um, I think it's sort of similar for art too, for me, just sort of like pivoting into that side of it. Like when I, you know, first began, you know, I feel like, again, like these things sort of developed sort of at the same time for me, which I know is like not a hundred percent normal. Like a lot of times people will develop their writing practice first and then they'll develop their art practice first. I will say that I think I began to get more recognition for my writing before my art, but like it was also kind of at the same time because I would just post things on social media, um, like sort of during the pandemic and then people began to notice it and they began to ask me, hey, like, do you want this work featured in this article? Or like, do you, would you consider becoming a part of the show? And then slowly, like, once I began to get offers to become part of certain shows, like I would show my work and then other people would see it. And then submittable is also great because that's the way you can find out about opportunities and open calls for applications, especially as an artist. Um, Twitter used to be really great for finding editors and publications, but now I think Twitter is kind of like, not yeah, I know. <laughs> a great place to be. Um, so I don't know what the future generation of like journalists are going to do because I feel like Twitter is kind of imploding right now, but Twitter was also like very important for me. Like just finding articles, finding publications, like way back, like when I was in high school, like I would constantly be reading like my Facebook, like news feed and just like finding articles that way. I would just always be reading like cultural criticism. Um, when I was like much younger. I'm sorry if that was like a long-winded. No, it wasn't at all. Um, I actually love how you were mentioning that, you know, they kind of happen simultaneously, even though you're like, you were writing, but you know, you didn't know what came first. But what has the advantage been being a visual artist and an art writer? Like, mm -hmm. what do you see that someone that may not have a background in art can write about? And like, what kind of information mm -hmm. do you provide with that advantage? Yeah, I feel like for me, it's definitely... It's definitely an advantage because as an artist, I think it helps me to almost see my work a little bit more objectively mm. um, because when you're an arts writer, right? I, I think we briefly touched on this before, but there's a lot of gatekeeping in the art world. Right. Um, there is like, there are a lot of people who want to be artists, but there aren't that many galleries who are looking to represent like, there are a lot of people who want to be artists, but it's not that like galleries can only show a certain number of people, but they're selective about who they're going to show in the same way that like when you apply for a job, if there are like tons of different applicants for it, then like only a certain num number of people will be selected. Um, 
So with that in mind, I think that I have been in a position so many times where I've picked who's going to get featured in the article. And like, even if I have friends, you know, who might be talented, who aren't the like right fit for a specific article. Um, so let's say, for example, if I were writing an article about textiles, I wouldn't just picked a sculpture who's a sculptor who's working in marble to be featured in this article. Like sometimes when people are not selected for things like if they're not selected for like a group like an open call for an exhibition or to be featured in like some article or if they're not selected to be a part of it it's not because they're not talented it might just not be the right fit for the right time but a lot of times like curators or arts writers or you know different people will still continue to follow your career and like when the time is right then that's when they might reach out to you with a specific opportunity so i think that arts writing has really sort of ta taught me that like has taught me that it's about playing the long game it has also shown me like i think when my work i think is there and is ready to be submitted to things like ap residency applications or like when I feel ready to like reach out to a specific art, like writer, perhaps to like look at my exhibition or like when it, it helps me see my work in a way that's sort of like, if I'm being honest with myself, like, would I pick this to be featured as an, in an article or like, would I pick this to be featured in an exhibition because I've done some curatorial work as well. Um, so it's helped me with, in that sense with like my art career. But I think that as a writer, like, having an arts background has helped me because it's helped me to sort of come up with different questions. Like I like to focus on asking artists about like their materials and their process and well, how did they also get from point A to point B um, in terms of like developing their career. And um, it also has helped me because I feel like when you're an arts writer, it like helps you get into certain spaces and gets you access to seeing like private previews and you get to develop relationships with curators. So a lot of times, you know, even though I started as an arts writer and I'm now focusing more on my own practice, like it just helped me to see like, well, okay, which, which curators are showing what and like which curators are interested in like showing like particularly, I think like younger black artists or just like textile work or things that I'm interested in and like which, you know, curators are like not showing that, but like um, it also helps me to see, like, even if this curator is like not a great person, like for me, like, what if I have another friend who's working in a different way? Um, you know, I can just sort of tell them, you know, hey, I think that this is a person who you should be looking at. And I think that also brings me to like my next point about writing and making art, which is that like, I feel like for me, it's like an advantage to be an arts writer who also has a studio practice because it's like I have a different relationship with the artists who I'm interviewing because I almost like they, it's, I, I don't want to say like they trust me more, but like, I do know what it's like to prepare for a show. And I do know what it's like to like do the nitty gritty of like sort of shipping out pieces, and like, um, you know, sort of uh, yeah, uh, talking to gallerists or um, building a collector base. Like, I think I have a different understanding of that than someone who's on the more like scholarly, like art history end of things or. Yeah. So I think that it's given me a different perspective almost on, um, arts writing. For yeah. sure. And I love that you, we were just mentioning gatekeeping a lot, but what you're doing, it seems like you're 
willing to share the information that you have with other artists and other people that you meet, that's great. Cause you know, we also need more people like you <laughs> that are not holding information, but just being informative and helping others, you know, be able to enhance their practice. So the first time I saw your work, I couldn't help but notice how unique your paintings are. They're beautiful. Now that I have an opportunity to pick your brain, can you talk about your most recent piece, Into My Garden Come? Thank you. Also, um, it says five minutes are going to be left on the. No, the I'm, I'm, yeah, so it's it's fine. If we go mm-hmm. over, I'll give you another link. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make sure you can yeah. send it. Email. Yeah, I was going to make that in like four, four exact <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, that recent piece, I, it was in like my, I had like a solo show in New York, which was great. And um I made that piece for the show and it's a a picture of my mother. Um, and it also has like some fabric that I dyed onto it. And then I also did some like linoleum prints on top of the fabric. Um, and I also included like some jeans on it and it's a blue piece. It has like a central figure and it's sort of um, flanked by these plants and then there's like a bird on and then there's like a snake um but I did like to create that piece because I felt like it was originally sourced from a family photo but then I kind of edited the family photo in photoshop um to manipulate the environment that uh my mother was like kind of sitting in um I think my grandfather had taken the photo and like he had died in like 2021. And like, I was like kind of dealing with some of, um, I guess like my feelings around that and thinking about like family photographs and depictions of people sort of throughout time. And I'm always sort of thinking about like photography and like, what does it mean? And like, what does it mean to sort of paint from a photograph and like, what can a photograph say that a painting can't say and sort of vice versa. Um, and why do we decide to make certain decisions? Like when we are painting from photographs, I think is a a thing I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so whenever I'm painting from a photograph, I don't usually like try to copy it exactly, but I'm trying to also like insert my own views into it and create my own world from the source photograph and think about, well, how would I render the environment? Um, I'm, I guess I was also like thinking about like daydreams and like memories and even how like a uh, video can almost serve as like a form of escapism for certain people. Um, like sort of speaking of gatekeeping, I feel like there's often like a bias, like the academics have against, you know, like, I don't want to say like normal people, but like maybe people who weren't like formally educated. And like, I think that like for my grandfather it was like very important for him to watch a lot of documentaries around like nature. And like, he was always watching like animal planet or like um, national geographic and things of that nature. And I think that sometimes there's like a lot of issues with how like certain people are like portrayed and like the like by like certain institutions but like I also think that it can be almost like a vehicle for people to sort of see um different places and spaces so I was thinking about like his interest in nature and also like his like sort of photography practice even though he wasn't like a professional photographer he was like very invested in like learning about photography and taking photographs like I think he took a lot of photographs of people but then 
Um, I think he was also very interested in like abstract painting. So like, I was just like trying to navigate those tensions in the painting by coupling like my, my Wait. Okay. Yeah. It took a while to come through. Oh, Thanks for your patience. Uh, that was, I had to like go back and like create a new meeting. Um, okay. So we were discussing your work and we had just finished. So let me see how mm -hmm. we can the groove. Okay. I got a question for you. All right, Isa. So, what do you want people to receive from viewing your art, from viewing your artwork? Mm -hmm. um, I think that I want my work to appeal to people, like even if they don't necessarily have a background in art. Like, I feel like I feel like I have sort of gone on this journey, like. I don't want to say away from academia, but I think I was more attracted to it like four years ago, you know, like when I was in college or like when I had just graduated in college. But I think that even when I was in college and I was considering becoming an act, I always felt like the sense of like alienation. Um, I also just recently read um, All About Love by Bell Hooks, like which was like a big thing during the pandemic. I feel like everybody was reading it. Um, and I don't know, like, I just had, like, mixed feelings about it. You know, I felt like everyone was really, like, into it. Like, they were very absorbed by this book. But I felt like, for me, like, yes, I understand that there is family trauma and there is patriarchy and there are all of these things. But the book, to me, was not really so much centered on, like, I don't know, even, like, eroticism or, like, sexual pleasure. Like, there wasn't, like, I felt like it was almost a, like, it was very didactic to me. Like it was, it felt very almost like cold. Like the book felt a lot more cold, but it's like, I should have expected this because it's like bell hooks, you know, like, and I do love bell hooks. And like, I was like very like enthralled with her, like when I was in high school. Um, and I think she's like a very important person, like a person who has had a deep influence on me. But I think that as I've gotten older and like, I've been thinking about the things that I want, like, I think that, for me, like, I am really interested in, like, making something that's going to appeal to people, like, that speaks to people that evokes maybe, like, an emotional response from them and, like, thinking about how do these questions that academics often ask about logic, about math, about science, how does that kind of relate to art? But I do think that, like, the visual is so important and the visual has the capacity to kind of like transcend language and um, speak to people. And I think sort of like what I was describing um, about the pandemic and just sort of like coming to this realization that, you know, I think that visuals were always important to me and were always things I cared about, but like it's becoming clearer and clearer that like they're becoming like more and more important. <laughs> and I think that like, while I do still love like text and literature, like I think that 
my relationship to literature is changing as society's relationship to literature is changing. And like, as we become a more audiovisual world, like what implication is that going to have for artists? Like what implication is that going to have for journalists? What implication is that going to have for media? Because media looks so different than it did when I was in high school. Like I would, I remember when I was in high school, I would always be watching like those vice documentaries, like about the truck stop, like strippers or whatever. And, like, <laughs> like, and all of those things. And like, I love, like, there was this also the show called like Slut Ever that I used to watch on Vice. <laughs> on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, she, like, she was like this journalist and she like would go around and she would ask people about, like sex and like she would just talk to different people like and their different experiences with like sex and um like would talk to like polyamorous couples and like couple and you know like sex therapy like all different sorts of things um and I guess um I mean I did write I did write like some of my thesis like around like perceptions of like my philosophy thesis was like kind of focused on like perceptions of women like a lot of it like in pornography but also like media and like popular culture and like what does that mean like to be like liberated and like what does it mean for someone to be like objectified like in like getting into all these questions I think great question actually (laughs) thank you yeah but like I feel like it's complicated too because like in academia there is almost this like I want to say like bend towards like second wave feminism that's not really like focused on and I don't want to use like certain terms because I feel like they're so overwrought, like these terms about like pleasure and anti-work and um, embodied, like, I feel like they're these things that come up over and over again. So I want to veer away from using those terms, but like, I do think that there is something that is like removed from experience, I guess is the best way of sort of phrasing it. Um, but I've always been thinking about language too, because I think that certain like, linguistic terms from specific dif- disciplines often get co-opted in weird ways when they transition over into other disciplines which is something I've always been like kind of like cognizant of um and I think it's something I'm trying to like put, it's, it's always something I try to push back on in my arts writing which is probably something I didn't mention before but I try to like veer away from jargon um and I think that something I want people to take away from my work is like I'm thinking about access, not only in terms of like black people getting access to like um, certain spaces, but I'm also thinking about education. I'm also thinking about where are people from? Is someone who's not from New York going to be able to understand my work and re- and have that resonate with them? I feel like in terms of access, pe- something people don't talk about a lot is like class access. Like, what does it mean for someone who doesn't have as much money to be entering the art world? Like, it's very difficult to make art if you don't if you can't afford supplies. Like, if you can't afford a place to live, a place to eat. And like, yes, like, I think I know a lot of Black artists who experience like hindrances and barriers to the art world, but I do feel like I also know like white artists and like Asian artists who are strong. And I'm not going to equate those, you know, like struggles that people have. I'm not trying to do that at all. Um, But like, I do think it's something like to acknowledge and something that's not like talked about as in in a nuanced way. So like, I do feel like a person who has like no experience with art um, should be able to like look at my work and feel something. But I'm not saying that everyone who has no experience with art is going to feel something because like it's kind of impossible for art to appeal to everybody. You know, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like your work, which is also what I think I want people to know is like 
just because someone doesn't like your work doesn't mean that it's like bad. It's just like, maybe it's not for them. <laughs> and it's not your audience, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also something I've been struggling with in particular, like to the black art community. Sometimes it's like, I feel like there's certain types of black art that gets represented that we see over and over again. But like, I'm always trying to push the boundary of like, okay, like how can we open up this conversation? And like, does it just have to be like super like inaccessible, like conceptual, like museum work versus like figure painting versus like the same type of abstraction we see over and over again. Like, I feel like I want to do something that's different. And like, that is a goal for me. Like, and my work is to like, figure out like, what am I trying to say as opposed to like, what are other people trying to get me to say? And like, why? And like, whenever other people are trying to get me to say a certain thing, like what, what's their agenda? Like, why are they trying to get me to say that specific thing? Um, and I, and I think that another thing, like one more thing with the work is like thinking about the fact that I think that people often try to draw binaries, like, especially in this world of social media and, you know, with the sort of rise of the art market, there was a, an article in the New Yorker that just came out like earlier this week, um, as we're recording this part podcast, but there was an article in the New Yorker that came out about. Larry Gagosian and it kind of talks about his ascent in the art world and like how he came to prominence and you know even just thinking about the inflation of the art market but there was one quote in the article I think that really sort of resonated with me that was by this painter um said by this painter named Cicely Brown I think mm -hmm. um she also has a show up at the Met now but like she was sort of saying like why is art by living artists selling for more than a million dollars <laughs> you know <laughs> and and that's something like I wonder about, like, should the value of art be like this inflate? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying I don't want to make money from my work because I do. Um, and I do want to make a living from my work, but it's also like, there are these ethical questions too that people need to consider about like, who's buying work? Who do you want to be receiving your work? What's, what's the audience? Like, what are your main goals with your work? And I think that once you get to a certain point in your career and if you do decide that you want your art to be your career, like you're going to have to think about the business side of things. And like, it's not that you have to, I don't think it's like as simple as saying you're selling out or you're not selling out, but you do like there are things you need to think about in the studio. If you decide to make it your livelihood. Um, and I think that there are also other ways that you can think about supporting yourself. Like all, like you can teach, like you can, code like you can do like there are so many other things you can do to supplement your income so like not all of your income has to be from art but like if you do decide that you want to show with galleries or honestly like even like museums or the minute you kind of like introduce your work to the public that kind of changes things um for better or for worse and I think that my goal is to kind of I'm always thinking about communication because if I do have the intention of having like my art being seen it's like what am I trying to communicate to the viewer? Um, and I think that it's the same thing for art. I mean, for writing, it's also the same thing, like, you know, with teaching, you know, it's like, I'm always thinking about, okay, like, how do I get like what's inside of my head to be received by like these students? Or like, how do I get what's outside of my head, like inside of my head to be received to like a wider audience? Um, so it's almost like a question of like translation in a sense. Yes, that's, that's really great. I think all of your points are really valid, especially being conscious and intentional about like what it is that you're trying to put out there, but also like who, like, what am I doing this for anyway? You know, mm -hmm. what is the point? But how am I 
relating to other people and within the same process of me figuring those things out. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you decide what materials will convey best with your ideas? I was looking even closer to your work, but it looks like you use more than one material where it's like Mm -hmm. just not painting, you know, you're adding things onto fabric. Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that? Sure. Um, I think that for me, like I've always been, like I said, like using a bunch of different things, like my uh, great aunt, um, she's very interested in textiles. And I have like a couple of people in my family who, um, you know, I have like another aunt who's like a a fashion designer, like one of my other cousins um, is a makeup artist. uh, uh, One of my great uncles who unfortunately is now deceased, like he was like, he painted and like he drew and um yeah like my other cousin like she's a writer like so I feel like I was around like certain people in my family like um who were like constantly like making things like my other great uncle was in this like jazz band named Sun Ra so like it's like I was always like around yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like I have like a weird kind of like creative family but like I also feel like like there was never the understanding like just because you like to make something doesn't mean it needs to be your job so I think for me like I mean I do not dream of labor like I don't like I don't think I was expecting this to be like any like kind of like live I just like think painting and like making things is always like a thing I enjoyed so I think that's also why it's like pretty multimedia it's like I just enjoy like working with a lot of different materials and understanding how they work and I mean, even thinking about like science, like there's so much like science and color theory, like thinking about yeah. what's the difference between using a titanium white versus a zinc white, like the pigments have different indices of refraction, which essentially means that like they're going to reflect light in different ways and like certain colors are going to be able to show through like a mixing white or a zinc white as opposed to a titanium white, which is like really strong. Um, I feel like I learned that by talking to like an art conservator because I took a class with like an art conservator when I was like in undergrad. Um, So I was always interested in like the materiality of the paint and the properties of the paint. I think after that class, like I think that was a class that really made me interested in like painting as a medium because I think that like I don't know. There are a lot of people out there who want to just like make pretty pictures and that's fine. They just like want to get high and they want to make pretty pictures and like, that's okay (laughs) if that's what you want to do. But like, I feel like for me, I was always like very interested in like, well, why is something the way it is? Or like, why is like, you know, this material act behaving in this specific way? And I think even when I was in high school, I was like very interested in like chemistry and like mixing things together. Um, I really liked chemistry and I liked balancing the equations with chemistry. And it's like kind of like when you're mixing paint and you're mixing together, you're thinking about, okay, how much of like this alizarin crimson am I going to need in relation to this like Prussian blue or whatever? Like how much of this like burnt sienna should be in the specific like skin color combination and I feel like it's very like mathematical and scientific to me which is also it's like yeah it makes sense to me that I'm like interested in math and science because like I'm also interested in painting and like even when you're thinking about drawing something realistically like there are certain proportions that you should probably know um and I think that drawing and painting to me like are very meditative that's why I'm like interested in them like particularly thinking about drawing like repeated shapes Mm -hmm. like I think that a lot of that has to do with like 
geometry, but also thinking about like the history of like Islamic art and how like, you know, like what gets represented and like when are certain things represented. I think I'm interested in textiles because I love the tactility of them. I also love paintings that are really sort of like leaning into texture. Like I really do like um, El Greco. I like um, like Monet and the Impressionists. I really do like um, also like abstract art for this reason, like Willem de Kooning. And um, I don't like Jackson Pollock that much, but like I do like Lee Krasner. Mm -hmm. um, I love like Helen Frankenthaler. I feel like she's kind of an influence for me, the way she kind of uses the unprimed surface um, and has things sort of like bleed into each other um yeah like Joan Mitchell like people like that like I do really like that form of making like Rothko um um yeah like Norman Lewis like the you know, I do really appreciate like abstract artists and I love artists who are also like working in multi very like ways are like very multimedia like um Romare Bearden, um, and Jadeka Crosby, um, was some of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, I love her. Uh, I was looking at her a lot, like when I was an undergrad, like what gets you Mutu? Like I was always like interested in like collage and like multimedia work, but also like literature. And I feel like there's such a connection between, and I feel like it's also interesting to me that people ask me the question of like about art and writing all the time. And I think it is because we're living in a digital age, but like there's such a rich history between literature and painting and even thinking about the history of like European painting and like how much of that was like funded by the church and how a lot of those paint, like a lot of things like the Sistine Chapel were kind of used to like educate and thinking about what gets depicted in terms of educate. And even like some of these questions about black art that are being asked and like representation it's also like I get it but I also do think it's like okay who are you asking to represent you because like black people have been representing each other for like so it's like why are people yeah. so desirous for like a certain type of institutional recognition is something I like am questioning you Absolutely. know and I do um just coming from I'm heavy on just like studying African art history in particular and African-American art history but we don't create barriers for like our gifts mm -hmm. but when you talk about like how visual art and literature are you know they are separate things but realistically like it is an art form and it's just a way mm -hmm. to express ourselves as people mm -hmm. so you know like I feel like they always constantly are going to merge regardless of you know what position even with music it's always mm -hmm. those three that are always kind of intertwining like you, you see that with the Harlem Renaissance and different movements like that within right. communities where it's always mm -hmm. been prominent um, but I did want to jump into our final question um, well last two questions the first mm -hmm. one is, what advice would you give for any artist right now who is a practicing artist, one that's getting started, one is still on their journey of art making, um, that are walking in similar paths as you are? What advice would you give them for starting and um, to maintain <laughs> the momentum of art creating? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. Um, very useful question. I feel like it's very important to just like immerse yourself in a community of artists. Like it, it's always good to be around other people, not only for developing like your own practice, but just to be like tapped in and connected to different people, I think is really important. 
Um, I think it's important for you to have like maybe like a folder on your phone with like pictures of your work that you have ready to show. So you don't like show any like inappropriate pictures like by accident, like when people are asking you to like show them your work, um, make sure that like, I mean, it's all, it's all, this is a contentious issue, but like, I think it's important to think about like, how are you presenting yourself on social media? Um, yeah, like what kind, like, because it's an important tool for some people to sell work. And I've definitely sold work through Instagram and I've definitely maintained like connections with people through Instagram. Like you never know who's looking at it. So Instagram is important. Like Twitter can be important if you're, um, a visual like if you're like a writer um having a good website i think is important like you're just in general like your digital presence you want to think about that and like you want to think about how you're presenting yourself there but also like showing up for your friends is important like going to their openings going to the openings of the galleries that you're interested in making sure you introduce yourself to the gallerists is like very important if you want to take the more writing path and like make sure like you know which writers you like and which publications you want to pitch to and that you're constantly like reading like you're constantly going out to art exhibitions seeing art talking to people building that community with people that's beautiful thank you so much and now my final ask is um i know that all of our listeners are very curious to know like how to follow your journey please share like any social media that you have so we can continue seeing all the amazing things that you're doing in literature and as well as your visual artist practice. Thank you. Um, so like my Instagram is just my name, no spaces, no hyphen, just like I sustain the smarts. Um, I think my Twitter is also that too. And then my TikTok is also that too. So <laughs> it's that. And then like my website is also just like my full name, no spaces, isisdavismarks.com. So just made it on my name. <laughs> 